Thank you for listening to the Keystone Church Podcast. For more information about us, you can visit us at mykeystonechurch.com. guys well we're on the last week of secrets of the storm and so has this been good have you guys been enjoying this i've gotten a lot out of it each week i think i know what i'm coming with and i get something completely different and god you know this week especially i feel like i kind of knew what i was going to come in with and god has shifted tracks even this morning so um well i want to start we're kind of looking at the, this last piece of Secrets of the Storm, and that is growing through the storm. And so when we encounter the storms of life, you know, we've talked about provision, we've talked about shelter, we've talked about these different ideas of perspective. But I think the last piece that I want to really talk about is growing through the storm. How do you actually not just let the storm knock you back, but how do you actually come out better and stronger and closer to God than you came into it? And so I'm looking at this through the story of David, and, um, I mean, there's just so much in David's story, we could probably spend years exploring it. So I'm not going to be comprehensive today, but I want to start with, after David killed Goliath, you know, most, most scholars think David was about 16 years old-ish when he killed Goliath. And so, if you can imagine, the 16-year-old comes out, he tries on Saul's armor, that doesn't work, he goes out, he does it his own way, he kills the giant with the power of God and with the authority and the way that he speaks has this intensity. And then Saul uh, is like celebrating this. And so it says that, that David went out. We're going to start at verse 5 in 1 Samuel 18. So if you want to read with. It says, David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now what happened as they were returning home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the woman the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines with joy and with musical instruments so the women sang as they danced and said Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10000s then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him and he said they've ascribed to David 10000s and to me, they've ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And I, I love that the way that's worded. You just kind of get the picture of Saul's like, he's eyeing David. Like, you know, he's got this glare. And it says, it happened that on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. You know what David escaped his presence twice means? It means he went back. <laughs> Think about this. And, and this is not the only time that Saul throws spears. In fact, if you read through 1 Samuel, there's quite a lot of spear throwing. And I can just imagine David thinking, thank God that Saul's not as good with a spear as I am with a sling. <laughs> you can imagine the guards looking at Saul like, you've had a lot of chances at this. Do you need some tips? Like, should we practice with you a little bit? Like, you know, and David going, man, I'm, I'm thankful for his aim, but not for his target. Saul definitely understood cancel culture. But, um, psh. 
Saul was afraid of David. And the interesting thing as you keep going is in 1 Samuel 18, 28 to 30, it says, Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. And what's interesting is you continually see throughout these couple of chapters here that David does the right thing, and then it says Saul gets afraid of him because of it. David acted wisely. Saul was afraid of him. Saul's daughter loved David. Saul became afraid of him. David had success in battle. Saul becomes more afraid of him. And can you imagine what David is going through? And he's sitting there like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing exactly what I've been asked to do. You put me in charge of the armies. I'm doing it successfully. I'm acting wisely. I'm acting honorably. And yet, I'm hated. Talk about going through a storm. You have, you have been outcast by your family. You're out by the sheep. You're not even counted as a son when the prophet comes to town. And then you've, you're anointed king, and instead of becoming king, you're invited into the king's palace only for him to throw spears at you and hate you and pursue you. Saul was going through his own storm, and Saul was fixated not on how he was going to get through the storm and not on provision and not on shelter. Saul wasn't fixated on the ways the enemy was trying to use the storm to undermine him and destroy him. He was just focused on who to blame and how to get rid of them. And he was fixated on David as the focal point of that blame. Good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think one of the interesting things is is um, there's a wonderful book called The Tale of Three Kings that walks through a lot of this, and it talks about how the anointing of God was upon Saul, but it was in David. The difference being Saul got the things. He got, you know, in essence, we could say Saul got the law. Like he got the stuff and the leadership and, and, and his, his success was because God was upon him. But David had God in him. David understood the heart of God, the nature of God to a degree that we, didn't, we don't see Saul pursuing. And so there's, I think Saul saw that and didn't understand it. And yeah, I think he envied it. And I think that he, he felt like it's left me and it's on him. That's why he said, you know, what else can he have but the kingdom? Like it was clear to Saul immediately, he's next. <laughs> Even though it had not been publicly proclaimed, it was privately anointed by, Sam, by Samuel. But imagine David, man, thinking every right step I take is making things worse. How many of us would be tempted to just say, you know, I've tried. I tried it for a long time. Forget it. If the right thing's not working, maybe I should just try a different, a different tactic. But David, he didn't doubt God's promises, and he refused to force God's promises. And that's an interesting thing in Scripture, because you see so many people who God offers a promise to, and then you see them manipulate and tweak and weave their way to achieve that promise. And David says, God said it. He's going to do it. I don't need to kill Saul. Saul's in God's hands. God made him king. God didn't unmake him king. God told me I was going to be king. God can make me king. I'm not going to take it by force. But David couldn't have done what he did if he didn't maintain relentless hope and optimism in the face of the storm. And there's something to be said for when we make a decision to grow through the storm, we actually make a decision, 
I, I know what I'm going through is rough. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's difficult. But I'm deciding that I'm going to come out of this better. And the only way that we can do that is with a relentless hope and faith in God. Um, there's a meme that I really like. And so I want to pop this up here. How many of you guys have seen this meme? <laughs> the dog's in this burning building with a cup of coffee. And he goes, this is fine. <laughs> well, yeah, right? <laughs> Who knows what, it, what it's actually drinking. But, you know... I think when, when a lot of people think about optimism and realism and real life, this is, this is kind of where our minds tend to go. Like, someone talks about an optimist and you're like, if the world's burning down around me, are you saying that I should just say this is fine? Thank you, that's, that's it for that. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that we don't acknowledge the storm, that we don't recognize that it's there, that we don't pay attention. What I am saying though, and this might tweak some noses, but I am saying there is no such thing as a faith-filled pessimist. There's no such thing as a faith-filled pessimist. Even when we change it, and we all do it, I do it, and we try to say, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a realist. By saying I'm a realist, what we're really saying is I'd rather keep an eye on what I know could go wrong rather than fully commit to hope. Because if you fully commit to hope, you burn the bridges, you burn the boats, there's no going, there is no plan B. When you fully commit to hope and you fully commit to believing in the promises of God, believing in the character and nature of God, there's no way around it. And that's the way that David lived his life. And we'll see later on, he had lots of opportunities to approach things from a more realist perspective and kind of pursue life that way. And he just refused to do that. So I want to talk real quick about three ways that we can grow through the storm. The first is we have to be receiving life in the storm. And so in a lot of ways, we've already talked about this. We talked about this in the idea of shelter and provision. But in the middle of the storm, if you want to grow through the storm, you, you have to be getting life. You have to be receiving life. We have to pursue the heart of God. We have to be getting filled even in the middle of the storm. And that's one of the hardest things. That's why I spent two weeks kind of going over it. Because it's so difficult to remember to eat when you're feeling in the depths of darkness. That's why people who are in depression, you almost have to be like, hey, you need to eat something. Here's some lunch. Here's, like, you have to kind of have help to, to do that. And that's why I talked about this already. You know, in Psalm 59, David's being chased. David's own wife she tells him, hey, my dad's going to come to kill you, so you need to run away. And David sneaks out the window, and when Saul comes and he talks to David's wife, she goes, he held a knife to my throat. He said he was going to kill me. His own wife knows my dad will kill me if he knows I helped him escape. This is a bad situation. In Psalm 59, David writes about this, and he pours his heart out to God, and he's receiving life by pursuing his questions, his pain, his confusion with Jesus. But one of the principles of the kingdom is that what we receive, we are meant to give away. Like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, if, I'm to, if I was to give my own parable again, the kingdom of heaven is like God's great game of bigger and better. Have you guys ever played that, bigger and better? Like it's a great youth group game. So like basically you... you take youth kids and let's put them into teams and you give them all a pencil and you say, by the end of the day, I want you to see what you can turn this pencil into. 
And so they go knocking on doors and they're like, hey, we need to, we're trying to win, beat these other teams. And so they give the pencil to somebody and that person gives them five bucks. And they go to the next house and they give somebody five bucks and that person gives them a toaster. And they go to the next house and they give somebody a toaster and that person gives them a bicycle. Yeah, we're getting rid of it anyway. And they keep going and then finally they wind up and they've got a car and they've got a, you know, like this kind of thing really happens. And it's this cool game where you started, somebody gave you a pencil and you walk out with a car. Bigger and better. That's what the kingdom is. Like what God gives us is never for us to keep. It's always for us to give away. So the second piece of growing in the middle of the storm is bringing life. We have to be receiving life. But in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your depth and darkness and pain and struggle and difficulty, you can still actually give something and give life. And that's another thing that I think is incredibly difficult because it's the last thing most of us feel like doing when we're in that place. Most of the time when we're in the storm, we get inward focused, our eyes on ourselves. We're thinking, how do I take care of me in the middle of this? And that's not a wrong question. But if we stay there and we stay in this place of there's nothing for, for my life except to take care of my own needs and God to meet me here, that's not bad. We have to have that. But we've got to create a flow as hard as it might be, where we begin pouring out what he's giving us, even if it's this much, even if it's just a little bit. One of the cool things is David's going through this horrendous situation. It says David departed. This is after he's gone through this massive back and forth. Like Saul tried to kill him. Saul welcomes him back. Saul tries to kill him again. He runs away. He finds, you know, he's, he's going all over the place. He's, he's got to be, you know, at his wits end. Like, I don't know what's going on. Everybody hates me. I don't know why I have to live in these caves after I was anointed king, but apparently God has a plan. And it says he escaped to the cave of Adullam in 1 Samuel 22. It says, so when his brothers, and here's an interesting thing. It says, when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. The same household that had kind of said, you know, oh, you're, he's not really one of the kids. He's just out in the field with the sheep. He's just the shepherd boy. That same family, when they found out he was alone in the caves, they went there to go be with him. And that's an interesting thing. Sometimes that's not always healthy. In fact, you'll see a couple of verses later, he, he goes to somebody and he's like, hey, can my dad stay with you? He's like, I'm gonna, let me send my family to you guys. But David stays in the caves. But it is interesting that, that a lot of times when we're in those worst places of pain, family shows up, real family shows up. And whether that's biological or whether that's church, I think that's a really cool point here. But then here's what it says next. It says, everyone, and I love how it, it doesn't, there's no disclaimer. It literally says everyone, everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontented, discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So you've got all these people showing up in their pain. And I can imagine David going like, why are you here what do you want me to do? I have nothing. Like, the more people there are, the harder it's going to be for us to hide. And make no mistake, I am hiding. I am not building an army. I am not going to lay siege on the capital. Like, I am hiding. <laughs> and yet they keep coming. And here's why they keep coming. There's a man, there's a man that comes a later, later on, and here's what David says to him. David says, stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. 
but with me you shall be safe. That's why they stayed with him. That's why they came to him. Because in the middle of his own pain, in the middle of his own wounding, in the middle of his storm, David's response to those who were in their own distress was not to say, guess what, mine's bigger than yours, the king's not trying to kill you. You don't have a whole army after you, I do. His response is to say, stay with me. You don't need to be afraid. The one who's seeking my life is also after your life, but with me you're safe. And when we remember that the one that's seeking our life is not the person that we're having trouble with, it's not the person we think may have caused the storm, when we remember that our enemy really is the enemy of our souls, and we can say to people, you're safe with me because I know the God that's with me, and in the middle of the cave, I have a deeper sense of his presence and his love for me than ever before. One of the interesting, when I, when I think about the secret place, when I go to my personal quiet place, my secret place, for me, it's almost always been a cave. It's almost always been in the middle of the rocks. Like it's been an isolated, almost desolate place. And yet there's beauty and the water shines with light and it feels like he is there with me and it's intimate and it's safe. And that may sound weird, but that's, that's how I kind of picture like my, my quiet place with God, my personal place in his presence is hidden in the rocks with him. We have to be willing to give life and give out of what we have, even if it's not much. And then the last thing to grow through the storm is, is may sound simple, but it's choosing to grow. It's just choosing growth. You know, my kids don't have to choose to grow. Like, they're growing. I think we have to buy new clothes for them every month. <laughs> but when you're going through the storm, you actually have to seek out the lessons. You have to constantly be asking yourself the question, God, what can I learn about you? And what can I learn about your nature in the middle of this? I'm not just going to endure the storm. I want to fly through it. And I want to fly through it by understanding what can I learn it doesn't, like, however hard it is, and this applies in so many situations, it could be the death of somebody you love. It could be a financial struggle. It could be a relationship, pain, and turmoil. But regardless of what it, the storm is, there's something that we can grow and learn about God in the middle of that. Sometimes the question is, what are the patterns in my life that I need to start or that I need to stop? Turmoil and pain and struggle and storms are the perfect time to reevaluate what we have in our lives and what we're filling them with. Henry David Thoreau, a, a pretty famous writer, wrote this awesome quote that I wanted to share. And he says, he says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die to discover that I had not lived. Here's what I love here. He says, I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life to live so sturdily and Spartan-like as to put to rout all that was not life. And what if we said that in the storm? If we said, God, I want to suck every lesson out of this storm that you have for me, every way that I can grow, every opportunity that I can use, what the enemy is trying to beat me with, that I can come out of it and make him tremble in fear and wish he hadn't put me through this storm because I'm going to use it to learn everything I can to grow in my effectiveness, in my intimacy, and in my authority with you. I, I always think of this idea of going around the mountain. Like when we're learning lessons, um, 
you know, you, you go, if you, if you're getting to the top of a mountain, like faith, the faith walk is not just a straight uphill journey. You kind of circle around and, you know, sometimes we get stuck and sometimes, you know, I think that I've learned the lesson of pride and then I circle around again and I'm like, oh, I recognize that bush. I guess I'm going around again. And you find yourself in the same spot. And when you grow, it's kind of like you circle, but you're getting higher. You might still be going through the same types of things. How many of you have been to a point where I'm like, didn't I learn this lesson? Why am I going through this again? And sometimes we get, we almost get deceived into thinking that we're in the exact same place when the reality is, yes, you're circling around again, but you are circling higher on the mountain and you have grown. You have had things that he's done inside of you. You have had change. David learned, we don't just learn from our own mistakes and from our own struggle, but we can learn from other people's. And one of the things that I've made it a point in my life is when I see somebody else going through a storm, I watch very, very closely, not to judge, not to criticize, but to see what can I learn without having to go through that storm so that if or when I do, I have some tools and resources that I can gain from someone else. And I think David got some of that from Saul. You know, you've got all these men with David and they're looking at Saul and they're saying, David shouldn't be canceled. Saul should be canceled. They're saying, you need to kill this guy. Have you seen his latest tweet? (laughs) I'm not getting political, really. I'm just reading the Bible. (laughs) He's got 400 men saying, crucify him. He's got 400 men saying, you need to go and kill this guy. And he's surrounded by their pain. And yet this one man said, I'm surrounded by your pain and by what you're telling me to do. But I am so solid and secure in the promises of God. I'm not going to let your voices move me. I'm going to move you. And he says to them, I have the promises of God. I am after his heart. You don't understand. I move the storm. The storm doesn't move me. I don't care if Saul is right in front of me. The way of God is to continue to walk in honor. And I will grow through this. I'm not going to let the storm diminish me. And James chapter one, he says, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. That's like worlds apart. I don't, you know, he's saying when you are experiencing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. And he goes on, he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. So we go from a place of nothing but difficulty to a place of nothing missing and nothing lacking. And that's in the midst of the storm. What I love about the Passion Translation of this verse is the way he phrases it, nothing missing and nothing lacking. Because that reminds me of the word shalom. And shalom in Hebrew is nothing missing, nothing broken, wholeness, peace, shalom. The peace of God is not just a peace that makes you feel comfortable. It's a peace that represents complete wholeness. And the way that this verse is translated in this translation just brings that to mind of the peace of God. You know, when we talk about the wilderness and storms and desert times, I think a lot of times we, we have a bone to pick and we're like, man, this is horrible. I'm going through a wilderness. 
One of, a lady I really respect, Patricia King, she says, when you're going through a wilderness, that's where God's sustaining you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I'm not trying to diminish how, how painful and difficult it could be. But the storms and the, and the wilderness, the, that's where we can experience his intimacy. That's where we can achieve the greatest joy possible is from the storm. That's what the Bible says. His word says that he gives us peace that passes understanding, which means if you only have peace when it's understandable, you're not standing in his peace. Because his peace is there when it doesn't make sense. The enemy in the middle of these things, he wants us isolated. He wants us discouraged. He wants you thinking thoughts like, I'm the only one going through this. No one else could understand. My storm is a burden to everyone else. I'll always be overwhelmed. The enemy wants you isolated and separated. But the way of God says, you know what? It doesn't really matter if anybody understands your exact storm that you're going through. One of the ways that we find life is in community, is in sharing what we're going through. The storm that we're going through sometimes was meant to be shared. I think that's why God actually gave David those 400 men. Because I think it was an encouragement to David to have people say, oh, I get what you're going through. And it was an encouragement to David for him to be able to say, I have something to give. I didn't think I did anymore. (laughs) Because the king didn't want it. But you guys want it. So I'm going to give it. There is life in your storm that other people need to receive from. There's life in your storm that we as a community are hungry for and desperate for. Because that's how we learn and we grow when we're going through ours. You're called to to believe what you can't see and to take your eyes off of the storm and put them back into the eyes of the storm stiller. And I think one of the things that we find is when we take our eyes off the storm, we stop making it so big. We stop making that be the big thing that we're looking at. Sometimes when we choose to change that posture, the storm actually begins to dissipate. Sometimes we need to process through things and work through the storm and get to the other side. I'm not, I get that. But there's other times we're just taking your eyes off of it and beginning to give and beginning to live and beginning to operate, like, kind of like operating like you're not in the storm choosing to grow, choosing to give, choosing to receive, sometimes you're going to find that storm just fades away because it was our focus that made it grow. I believe that God wants more of that for all of us today. And I believe that when we are all in the place of the cave at times, we all need to know I think one of the saddest things is to be in community and be alone. To be in community and yet nobody knows your storm. And it takes vulnerability and it takes trust and it takes, listen, it takes a willingness for people to respond poorly and to get wounded. I get that. But to a degree, the level of which we can experience love is also connected to the level of risk we're willing to to enter into and so I want to encourage all of us my prayer and my hope for you is that my prayer and my hope is that none of us are in a storm my prayer and my hope is that 
we're all in a, on the mountaintop, just shining in the glory and, you know, singing in the rain or dancing in the sun or the hills are alive, whatever it is that makes you happy. <laughs> but I know that's not always going to be the case. And the reason that I've spent so much time on this topic is because I want us to be the kind of community where we are safe for each other because I can promise you that there are people who will be coming into our community who will be bringing their storms. And if they see us as a community that hides our storms, they won't share theirs. If they see us as a community that doesn't know how to give in the middle of our storms, then they will continue to stay in a place of their own isolation and they won't give what God's put inside of them to give. And so some of this is tough. I get that. And I'm not expecting all of us to be like, yay, what a great message. But I want, this is, my hope is that this is encouraging, that we all are willing to just see what this looks like. And so I want to take a minute in prayer. And then, you know, I understand if people need to leave, but if you want to discuss this a little bit, we can. But right now, I just want to lift all of us up to Jesus and just say, God, we just thank you for the gift of your presence, for the gift of of intimacy with you, Jesus. We thank you that it doesn't matter how big or how little what it is we've walked through or or we're still walking through, that you are grace-filled, you are gracious, you love us, you are holding us, you are with us, you have never abandoned us. Not ever have you left us alone. And God, I thank you for just the way that your spirit confirms things. I love how Catherine was prophetically singing about keeping our eyes on you in the beginning this morning because that's exactly where we receive the life to give something back, where we receive the life to grow through the storm and to come out better than ever. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray over each and every person in this room that you would make the devil regret putting them through whatever they have been through in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would increase your favor and your, your peace upon them, that you would increase identity and impact and the authority of the Holy Spirit in their lives to such a degree that it would make the enemy scared to put them through trial. God, I just release your love and your affection over everyone in this room today, that they would just comprehend how deep and wide your love is for them, that they would have a deep understanding of your unfathomable love for them and that it would inspire them to have to pour that out to the other people around them. Scott, we love you. We trust you. Even when it's hard to trust you, we trust you, Jesus. Amen.